Good morning, everyone, again. Title of my, um, really a homily, not really a sermon, but okay, is called Love, a Splendid Thing. And I was originally going to title this sermon, Love is a Many Splendored Thing. And those of us who are of a certain age um, may remember a movie from 1955 of that name, or more than likely the TV soap opera from the 1970s had an almost identical title. So in the end, I decided not to use that, that title. Um, it's a bit cheesy, um, and it doesn't fit on our sign either. Oh, well. So I came up with the alternative, love a splendid thing, which I think fits a little bit more. In this vein, I want to take um, and look at the text from the New Testament that young Mr. Ammerman read really well, um, which is Romans 10, chapter 10, verses 8b through 13. And in it, Paul is talking about how one truly comes to salvation. Earlier in that chapter, Paul talks about how God has first given the law to his people and how they use that law for salvation. But then he tells us, starts to tell us of an important distinction between salvation through the law and salvation through Jesus Christ. Earlier in chapter 10, verse 4, he says, For Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Here Paul is saying that Jesus is the end point of the work of the law, given to Israel by God. That everything in the law that came before was ultimately coming to fruition in Jesus. So Paul can, continues to say in chapter 3, verses 28, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So, we are given the idea that working through the law itself is not sufficient for salvation. The law is still important. But Jesus came, tie it off, put a bow on it, to give it to us, to gift in a different way. as And now we get to the heart of the matter in verse 9. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Here we see that it's not enough for you to simply speak publicly. It is not efficient to believe without verbal expression. The two are linked. However, if you believe and speak together, you're justified or saved. Thoughts and words of faith together yield salvation. Now, the next question Paul addresses is just, who is it that God will listen to these words from? That's a very awkward sentence, isn't it? What type of person will God here proclaim their faith out loud? Is it maybe just the Jews, the people of Israel, who received the law originally? And historically, that was a thing. There were folks early in Christianity's days who, professing belief in Christ, believed that only someone who was Jewish 
could be saved by professing their faith in Jesus. Paul answers that belief. The crucial verses are here in verses 12 and 13. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The the same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no distinction Jew and Greek. Now, in that time and place, Jews and Greeks were religiously opposite ends of the polar, uh, of a particular spectrum. The Greeks had brought to Rome their rather large pantheon of gods and goddesses, which the Romans then adopted and added to with their emperors and various others. And this pantheon, understand, was not fictional. It was not something somebody believed just by saying so, and they said, yeah, okay, I believe it, but whatever. They believed in these gods. They believed them for as many of the reasons as we believe in God and Jesus today. They gave apparent explanations to the way things in the world work around them. From blessings and triumphs, evil deeds and disasters, and ultimately to what would happen to them when they die. Now, the Jews, of course, believed in a single God, one of ultimate power and omniscience. Through the Torah and the law, they believed that that God had taught them everything they needed to know about how to live and how to live rightly and how to gain salvation. So, for Paul to boldly state that there's no distinction between Greek and Jew was really something. Because he's saying that no matter what you have believed, no matter what you've been believed, that the Lord Jesus is the same to you no matter what. To put the final filial, the final cherry on top of it all, he continues that saying that the Lord is the same Lord to everyone, Greek, Jew, and any other believer, and those without belief. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. How magnificent that. I mean, the word generous is almost insufficient for such a concept. What love must God feel for us? What love must Jesus feel for us that he would offer such a thing? Hear it again. The same Lord is the Lord of all and is generous to those who call on him. And what is in this magnificent generosity? Paul tells us, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right. Calling on the Lord, faith through his son, Jesus Christ, is how we are saved Saved from final death, saved from soul-crushing despair, saved. And that, my brothers and sisters, truly love a splendid thing. So, this Lenten season, 40 days, we examine ourselves, our lives, our belief, our faith, to grow closer to God as you fast, as you do penance, 
Whether you put something down or whether you take something up, in all things, remember this. The Lord is generous to all who call on Him in faith. Call on Him. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.